Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Yoga After Dark, your go-to podcast for everything magical and amazing. Um, haven't heard from me for a little while, I know, deep tears, uh, but, you know, it's summer, and I have things to do with my life, so I've, uh, you know, taken a little time off from podcasting, but now I'm back, and I am back with my friend, Monty Stilson. And he has been a student of mine. He's been a student of mine in a couple different settings. Um, and one of them has been the Mysore Ashtanga setting. Uh, Monty is also an amazing photographer. And if you've ever looked at my uh, Instagram page or several other people's Instagram pages, um, you will discover a bunch of Monty's photography. And it is always absolutely to die for. Um, and having a photo shoot with him is is just fun, which is which is nice because if you've ever done a yoga photo shoot yourself, you know that they're not fun. They're actually heinous and horrible, and they do awful things to your body. So if you enjoy looking at people doing yoga asana or um, fun yoga stunts on Instagram, just know that they are in pain, even if they are smiling at you. So welcome, Monty. So nice to have you here. Thank you, Michael. That was so incredibly sweet. And the <laughs> only reason I have to say, the only reason that makes these photo shoots fun is the people that I interact with, like mm. you. You know, it's like bringing your energy, bringing that sense of humor in is always fun, makes it fun and interesting. Good. So thank you. <laughs> well, we owe you a debt of gratitude because, you know, to have that level of professionalism is is rare um without thousands of dollars <laughs> you know and we're yoga teachers we don't have thousands of dollars or at least most of us don't <laughs> exactly exactly i know how that goes so right, good. right but we have to do something else soon too yeah when yeah. you get back okay okay very good we'll do some more photographs um so tell me you are a, an older gentleman let's i am yes you're an older gentleman i and, am 62 uh, you are 62 my god look at you and uh and you have uh, somehow come to yoga and i don't know exactly how you came to yoga so you, can you tell me how you got interested in the whole thing sure well the first time i practiced michael i started practicing probably in the mid 70s out of a flip book that was like you know one of those plastic bound flip books with mm -hmm. drawings not even photographs of asana mm -hmm. so i did that for about four or five months and i was living in outside of the the ute reservation in utah and i was just trying to keep my sanity and that's how i i started yoga I started running, I started doing anything I could do to like sort of keep grounded. It didn't work. <laughs> I ended up on like mood elevators and I had to like jet out of town before I lost complete control. Um, but it wasn't until I think I was 54 um, when I started again. And I started because I was spending so much time at my computer. I'm a, a photo editor. Mm -hmm. um, freelance, I have a separate photo editing company. And I was spending so much time on my computer that it was wrecking my body. So um, a friend suggested yoga. So I started, of course, you know, with a gateway drug, Bikram. <laughs> As and many of us have. Exactly. I have. I have my own history of Bikram, which many people don't know about, actually. No. It's like my dirty little secret. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> right, I just let it out of the bag, oh God. <laughs> it seems to be like so many people found um, their way to yoga through Bikram, which is amazing. Uh, and it was so beneficial for me um, at the beginning. You know, it's like it was a way to heal my body, to like sort of work out the kinks. And um, it was after my first couple of classes in Brooklyn, Bikram, I, I was like, this is for me. I need to continue. And of course, then I started going almost every day almost non-stop and mm -hmm. of course like all new yorkers we go from point a to point b without anything in between practically and i sort of wrecked my body because of bikram 
<laughs> um, I woke up one day and I had one leg was almost literally half the size of the other. Oh, wow. And, and I, I would wake up in the morning and I couldn't walk. The only thing that made me feel better was going back to yoga, but of course, going back to Bikram. So it was like this, this cycle. Finally, I just stopped. And uh, that was, yeah, I think I started when I was 54, if I didn't wow. say that before. So. And so then from the Bikram, you have then expanded yourself because you've obviously done Ashtanga with me. And you've also done a lot of um, kind of hybrid um, yoga that combines Ashtanga, Bikram, some Kundalini practices, um, which they teach at a taught at a school called Lighthouse, which has which recently has actually physically closed because of the because of Mr. COVID walking around, and um, so. You obviously got out of the. Uh, Do you ever go back to Bikram, or or had we kind of gotten out of that sphere at this point? I I totally got out, and I I think it was Ben Sears that invited me to one of Jared's classes when he was teaching at Jared McCann, teaching at the Old Drama Yoga Space on Twenty Third Street, and mm -hmm. he and Talia Sutra were were holding classes one or two days a week, and uh, it was still I think Yoga to the People too. I'm not sure. Um, but that was sort of my introduction to that hybrid, those hybrid classes. And uh, it was shortly after that, I think Jared opened Lighthouse and I started practicing there. And where I met you, because you mm -hmm. were teaching then every Monday and practiced with you. And uh, sort of somewhere in the mix, I had gone to Katona mm. um, for some time when it was on 18th Street and kind of mix up that practice a little bit too, which I, I, I loved, it was interesting. And uh, that's kind of it. That's a little Kundalini here and there. You know, I've done a couple of white tantrics and a couple of Kundalini classes um, just here. I've never really gone back to a Bikram setting at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe once a year, I know that some people just like go back as a reset or a reminder? I go back, um, I usually go back once a year as a <clears throat> extremely cheap sauna experience. <laughs> you know, like January or February season, and uh, I decide that I just, I just really need some heat. And so all the Bikram studios offer that like week of yoga for $20 or whatever the hell it is. And so I just, you know, pick a new Bikram studio I haven't been to before and I just go there for a week. Um, and I, I think they're always a little bit confused by me because um, I'm really going there just to move around a little bit in the heat is what, what my goal is. I'm not actually there to, to try. Um, <laughs> and of course, which is a little underhanded of me, honestly. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> you have to do what you have to do to get in the yeah. heat. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so I'm there and, and I've always done my, my Ashtanga practice in the morning anyway, before that. And so we're going through all the, the Bikram postures and they usually single me out because they can tell that I can do them and I'm just half-assing stuff. And I'm always just like, no, I'm, I'm not actually going to try harder. This is not why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I am here to put on the skimpy bathing suit and get hot. That, that is exactly <laughs> what is going on. Yes, <laughs> very much so. I can relate. <laughs> ah, so, so speaking of skimpy bathing suits, um, so how I, I mean, I obviously know um, a lot of the people that you know in the, in the yoga world. And I know that a lot of them are young and flexible and strong and um how did you yes. deal with being surrounded by these young flexible strong people that i mean they have the bodies of acrobats and athletes um how did you deal with that walking into this in your in your latter 50s oh my god it was uh, uh yeah no it was it was incredibly intimidating at first because I was probably 
30 pounds heavier than I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, I've always been like a little self-conscious of my body. So it was like walking into a Bikram studio where everyone is half naked mm-hmm. um, was a bit, a, a bit strange. I, I, I wasn't really comfortable. I never practiced without a shirt because mm-hmm. I just felt like, a, you know, that wasn't me. Um, so that's how I sort of got around that. But then as I moved through the practice, I just became more and more comfortable with my body and found, and my body's ability. And as I, you know, I, I moved years into the practice, I was uh, astounded at the prog- progress that I could make at 54, 56, and what my body's uh, ability to do was I, I was I was shocked my body could still progress at that age. That's really beautiful. <clears throat> I think that that's something that um, we don't always consider is that the more we use our body, the more we get into using our body, oftentimes the more comfortable we become with it. And well, that was- that was totally my experience. And it was literally like all Bikram studios, it's having that mirror in front of you to know exactly what you're doing with your body that I think really was beneficial for me to see how I was moving through space, how my body was reacting in relation to the other people around me. And that was enlightening because I could see that I wasn't failing. You know, mm-hmm. I could keep up, I could, I could progress, I could push through it. And that was, you know, that was a source of inspiration for me. Hmm. Great. That's really wonderful. That's just really wonderful. Yeah. And then, you know, if, as I, as I moved to Lighthouse 2, that also had the mirrors. And I remember starting my practice at Lighthouse, I was always back, not uh, with the mirrors, you know, back mm-hmm. against the wall. Um, and as I progressed through that practice too, it was kind of the same. I, I became more comfortable, you know, in my in asana, in my practice, in my body's ability. Um, it and took a while. And of course, now you don't use mirrors. Now I don't use mirrors, and uh, I don't know what I look like. But <laughs> 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 I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> and if it's not, I'll just like you know, I'll. I'll believe that it is <laughs> well, good, for the good, time being. It is important. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I can use a, a camera on a cell phone. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, barely holding on to belief most of my life, I think. So um, I, belief is very important that, you know, yeah. things are still working. Things are going to still work. <laughs> right. Well, I've had some, you know, it's been some interesting experiences lately, just watching my body. Like, I'm... I am so much stronger than I think that I've been in a really long time than probably I was in my 30s or 40s um, and 50s. Um, But there are changes in my body that I'm not so pleased with. You know, like my skin is showing the signs of age. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's a few aspects where I'm like, oh, yes, it's still happening. But yes, I am aging in spite of, you know, being in in denial. It's still happening. but my physical ability isn't declining. That's wonderful. I mean, we can only, I think we all have to accept this. And <clears throat> I, I can say this as a, as a 38 year old man, I haven't really had to run up against anything too intense yet. But we all, we all have to accept that the aging process is very natural. And also that assuming we live that long, it will happen there is no way of actually preventing it from happening, at least not yet, right? Uh, so there, there does- and it definitely, to, oops, sorry. No, it's fine. There does have to be an amount of acceptance, an amount of Ishwara uh, Pranidhana, amount of surrender to, to that, because it's real. It's real, and I see it every day. And uh, I'm, you know, like I say, those parts of me that I, 
I look at my skin sometimes and, uh, and it's mostly just my skin. I'm like, oh my God, that's me. That's the new me. <laughs> this is what I am embodying. You know, a lot of it is like sun damage, which is kind of okay. But I'm, uh, I don't know if I'll ever come to terms with it in terms of really accepting it. I can surrender to it that it's happening. I don't necessarily um, love it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the other aspects that I'm able to push through is, is doesn't really, I mean, it compensates. It's like, yes, my body can do this. Um, I'm able to, you know, to go here still um, in my practice, even though my skin may not look as good as it would. <laughs> I think your skin looks great, but I, I think you shortchange yourself a little bit. But, uh, and, and you can do things that many people half your age cannot do. And, and forget just the, the physicality of it. You have a discipline that most people just simply do not have. Um, even now, and this actually uh, lets me shift gears a little bit. So you have been going to, uh, you've been going to appear to do your own practice now since everything shut down due to, due to COVID-19. And <clears throat> you're coming up or have now surpassed day 90, yes, of oh. voting every day, every morning. Every morning. I think it's probably close to 100 days and out of that 100 days, I think I missed one day because I had to work. Um, but it's been every single, every single day, every morning at 9 o'clock. That's absolutely incredible. And throughout this, you know, throughout this uh, coronavirus process, all of us yoga teachers have all had to figure out and have and we've all had to have deep conversations with ourselves and some others about how we are going to manage this problem, how we are going to still reach our students. And also, or at least I would expect that people are having this conversation with themselves, how we're going to attend to our own practices during, during this pandemic. Um, and you have actually simply because you've been showing up to a place at a time and doing a thing, you have become a de facto yoga teacher during this whole process. Um, how, how did that happen? <laughs> it's so interesting because, you know, I did my yoga teacher training at Lighthouse Mm-hmm. And the thought of teaching a yoga class was just frightening to me. Like I, I, I would be in horror. Like when it was my turn to say something in yoga class, I was like, Oh dear God, I hate this. I hate this. Um, and it sort of happened at the pier that I would show up and do my own practice. And mm-hmm. I had one guy who was like, wow, that's amazing. Can I join you? And I said, yeah, of course. So it was like one person for maybe, you know, five or six days. And then someone else came and uh, it just started growing. And for me, it was like really easy because it was such a slow process. And these people became friends within one or two days. It's like, okay, let's meet here at nine o'clock and get this done. And I loved it. I, you know, enjoyed being around them and uh, having their company and going through this process. So it just became so easy for me to teach them or to like sort of guide them through it. And then as more people joined, it was such an organic, beautiful process. It just became like, oh, if I can do two, three is no big deal. You know, that's, (laughs) that's fine. That's easy. Come on. And then, uh, um, you know, over the past couple of weeks, it's just been like, or the past month, it's just been growing and growing. And I'm shocked. A, in class, as I was teaching, I just sort of had to step back from myself and look at the process, look at me in the process with my old fears. And it just happened today. I was like, oh, I never would have done this. A year ago, I wouldn't have been able to do this at all. 
And today there was like maybe 20 people there that are like amazing practitioners. Some of them are just, you know, are so amazing. I'm like, I was shocked. I was shocked by the people that I was surrounded by and going through this process. And it was just, it was almost overwhelming. Well, I have taken now a couple of your classes, which I have been very, very happy to attend um, because, you know, I've, I've definitely had a, a need to get out of my own house um, because it doesn't happen enough anymore. Um, and I've also had a need to just be around some other people, <clears throat> even if that is in a, you know, in some sort of socially distanced way and outdoors and all of that stuff. Um, which is Im very important at this period, at this time. Um, and so I've been super happy to, to be able to, to attend a, a few of these mornings with you. And one thing that I particularly like about it is that it is, it is non-performative. Your teaching is completely non-performative. Um, you are simply sharing something that you find benefit in. And I wish that more yoga teaching was like that. Um, and I try to do that in my own teaching, though of course I am a bit of a performance monkey and we all know this. Um, and uh, you know, I like to put on a show. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the ability to have a conversation with students and look at them as a person and have that inter that person to person interaction is so valuable and that is that is something that you do and i think it is something that you do because you weren't intending on uh teaching a class if you will it has be, it's just been a sharing process instead of a uh you know, needing to be employed process or something like of that nature. Well, I think you're right, Michael. I think the, the, and the way that it happened, the organic way that this happened just made that really simple that I would know someone when they came, when they came in. And, you know, I think for them not really having that, or maybe not having expectations, um, but knowing that they were like coming into like sort of a friendly environment you know, where we all sort of knew each other and interacted. I think that's what drew a lot of people in. They were like, oh, you know, these people are, they're, because we, we interact beforehand and afterwards. And I think a lot of people found that appealing, especially through this COVID process when everyone felt so isolated. Um, so I think that was a draw um, and really beneficial to a lot of people. You know, there are people that, um, some older people, in fact, that joined that said that it was almost a life-saving experience for this one particular guy because he was on a downward spiral in depression because of just being alone and locked in his apartment and um, finding us. And at that point, there was only like five or six of us practicing at the pier and being able to join in. He just said, you know, stopped his downward spiral. So that was, that was really interesting to hear. I was like, oh, we are doing more than just yoga in the park. It's like it's actually benefiting someone. Um, so that was, that was interesting. I mean, that was like, that was sharing, you know, mm -hmm. sharing just going through this practice. Or, um, it was cool. It was cool. And such a, such a beautiful silver lining to all of these dark storm clouds that have been above us as well. Um, and, I, and I hope that we will be able to take that into the future because in my not so humble opinion, um, before coronavirus struck, uh, yoga was getting out of hand. <laughs> and getting out of hand in this way that people no longer knew their students. Um, people no longer knew, you know, who was coming into their class. Um, 
we have, you know, we have all of these promotions going on. We have Groupon, we have class pass, we have living social, we have everything else under the sun to get people into the studio because of course all studios are running on an absolute shoestring budget, especially with the way rent is in New York city. And so to get the, uh, the butts on the mat, if you will, and to pack that room so that rent can actually be paid. And so that the yoga teacher can take their very, 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 very little tiny amount of money home with them at the end of the, uh, at the end of the class was quite a challenge. And it, in some ways, necessitated a prioritizing of getting new people in all the time instead of learning about the people that were already there. How does that shift in New York City? It's going to be interesting to find out because I completely agree. Like any businesses, through this whole COVID experience, I'm shocked at the amount of businesses, not just yoga studios, but restaurants and bars and so many other smaller stores were just operating on a shoestring because the rents are just so, excuse me, incredibly high. And yoga, I mean, that's exactly it. You had to get people in all the time or do promotions, it seemed all the time just to pay pay the rent. I I don't know. I don't know how that paradigm will change moving forward. Um, you would know better than I. I mean, I, I don't know if I do, honestly. But, um, <clears throat> but I will say, and this is something that occurred to me uh, a couple years ago and has now in this time uh, become very, very poignant, uh, is that I... I don't consider myself so much a yoga teacher anymore. I consider hmm. myself a community builder. And my task is to build a community and then keep that community together. And the actual teaching of the yoga is kind of on the side of that. Um, I think that the community support that people find within a shala or within a studio or within a sangha or a kula, uh, if you want to use the Sanskrit terms, um, is actually much more valuable than the actual yoga practice of doing the asana pranayama, etc. Right. Um, and, and you are, are managing to do that. And it's a... Um, and it's a beautiful thing, but it's a, as you've said, it's a slow build. You know, you can't do that right off the bat. That right. Can, you know, happens super quick. Right. And I have to say, for, for me, there's, there hasn't been the pressure of this being a business. I, you know, just started out doing it for free and, and still do. Um, and... So I didn't have that pressure of trying to make it work, you know, and I think that has, has um, taken a lot of the pressure off, a lot of the, uh, the need to please people or, you know, the need to, it's been easier to build community or a sense of community without that pressure. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say that for myself as well. Once I had enough people, um, attending my, you know, my Mysore classes on a regular basis. I had a, a large enough corpus of, of people. It took a great deal of pressure off me because once I could actually, you know, pay for my own needs, um, I no longer felt the need to, to entertain people in, in any way. You know, I'm, I'm there to give a certain thing and, you know, I have a, I have a decent work ethic and so I work very hard at it and I am always going to put forth that energy, but no longer did I have to be the, the dancing monkey, you know, no longer did I have to make sure everyone was happy all the time. It was just, if that was not the case, that was simply not the case. Um, and so it takes it, it really takes it from a um, service, profession, service-oriented profession, 
to an educative profession. Um, and I much prefer if it is an educative profession, you know, instead of me uh, giving a service to someone else or being paid to give a service for someone else. Uh, that's such a beautiful perspective. And I've never heard it. I've never heard that before, but I think you're absolutely right. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know, you know, like an, uh, it's such, I mean, not for, for me and not for me, but just as a yoga student, it's such an amazing uh, process to go and hear a teacher like you practicing with you and just, it's, it's a, it's almost like a blessing, you know? So yes, it's something you should be paid for and paid well, but it's such a sharing experience. Um, so turning that into a business, I think is just would be incredibly difficult because you're right. You, you have to perform. Yeah. It takes, it takes a bit of a paradigm shift. Um, because there's, there's absolutely, you know, um, my my chanting teacher in in India was uh, talking about this uh, not that long ago. Actually, she was on a she was on a uh, a, a, a little YouTube video that that my teacher had uh, made with her. Um, she was in New York, and my chanting teacher, of course, is in Mysore in India. And she was talking about how money is not inherently a bad thing because money provides security. It's how, it's how we have in our society created security. It's how that you can live comfortably. And once you can live comfortably, you can give so much more. Once your own needs are attended to, you really can give so much more. If you are constantly in a hand-to-mouth situation or, or some sort of desperate situation, it is very difficult for you to actually share with others, to give anything to others, because the mentality is not there, because you really have to um, look out for yourself constantly in that, in that situation. Um, and so, I, I don't know, I've, you know, I've always had uh, my issues with, with free yoga and low cost yoga uh, and that sort of thing. And, and I think you know that, I'm, I'm pretty vocal about that. Um, and because it takes away from, it, in a way it takes away from people who do do this as a profession and need to provide for themselves. If you're telling exactly. people, well, we have a donation based yoga class down the street or we run five of them a week in the afternoons in the you know in the school and then you can get cheap yoga through this thing and cheap yoga through this thing and cheap yoga through this thing as well the yoga community has done an extremely good job of providing cheap yoga to people like that is out there it's always been out there and i think right. it will always be out there um i think that there does need to be a shift in making sure that the providers of the yoga instruction are taken care of better because many of them are not and it, and it impacts how they instruct it impacts the amount of time they're able to put into it it impacts the amount of energy they're able to put into it um and and you if their needs are not met you do not get the consistency that you should have to have high quality yoga education. Exactly. That makes perfect sense for me. And the reason that I saw, I, I just didn't feel that what I was, I mean, I didn't feel like I was giving a sense of value when I started. That's why I was like, okay, let's just do it. You know, I'll do it for free. And for me, it was like, it was, um, such a massive learning experience that I was like getting so much out of it. Um, but you're right. And the fact that one of the reasons that I didn't want to teach yoga after, after doing yoga teachers training is 
because there was no money in it. It was just so impossible to to try and survive, or so it seemed to me. Um, from all my friends that are yoga teachers, you know, always had to do something on the side. And there are some, you know, there are yoga teachers that are just so brilliant and they give everything, you know, like you. So it, yes, it should be something that is highly valued and uh, that you're compensated for. Um, I, you know, for me, I just... Still, I have a really hard time. I tell people now that um, it's donation-based, and I'm feeling more comfortable with that. But I had a really hard time. You know, people are, how much? How much is it? How much is it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had a hard time saying or, like, setting a price. Just say $50. Right, <laughs> exactly. Just, just let it roll off your tongue. Just say $50 cash. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Done. Take it from there. Done. Figure it out. <laughs> Fitty bucks, baby. Fitty bucks. <laughs> Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you got to show up to that pier with some bling on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, I think, I think especially, you know, it's, you know, uh, every, uh, everything has its time, you know, to every season, turn, turn, turn that, that old song. Um, but, uh, which is biblical, is it not? I think it's biblical actually. Those yes, it is. Um, I can't remember what it's from. Yeah, neither can I. I'm not a, I'm not a biblical scholar. I don't <laughs> have it in my head. Um, <laughs> I'll look it up later. I'll, I'll do a Google search and Wikipedia will tell me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, I think you, we're in a very specific time. And so what you have created during this specific time, you have to, you have to honor that it exists in this specific time for a specific reason. It is filling a space for people that is, that is very vital for them. And especially, you know, we're not getting a whole lot of, at least in this state um, right now, we're not getting a whole lot of guidance uh, or instruction from our our higher ups or the you know the, the the great they them the people in control and so we don't know as um, people who provide recreational exercise um, which is not something that yoga should be filed under but that is what we are filed under so that's how it is um, oh, so and <laughs> but you know we're not getting a lot of guidance about how this is going to, how our businesses, how our lives are going to progress in the next several months. Um, and so we're all kind of um, figuring it out as we go and figuring it out how to, how to work with it. And it seems to me, at least for your purposes and the community that you are serving, you have really figured, figured something very beautiful out. Um, and so, and I, I think that's something that has to be honored. I think that's really very, very nice. Oh, that's so sweet, Michael. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm just uh, so grateful for this experience because I, I just keep learning every single day. Um, but I think to your point, we are, the world, it seems, is in such a straight state of transition. You know, mm -hmm. we're in an election year. The economy is just like tanking. Um, there's so many things changing. Um, so I think people are looking through this COVID experience. So many people had to go inside and just become aware, more aware of themselves. You know, there were all of those external pressures removed. There were things that we just couldn't do on a daily basis. You know, we had to stay home. We had to we had to go in because there was no place else to go. Um, so I think that has brought a lot of people in, into themselves, while the whole world seems to be spinning out of control. And it kind of seems like the people that I've been practicing with went through that experience. And mm -hmm. so this is how they're sort of entering their bodies.
in in like a social situation. So it's a, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to watch people like sort of interact um, with one another to feel to be in this place where they are in community after spending so much time alone. I think, and for me too. Yeah. I think it's very beautiful to see. Really very beautiful. Yeah, and to have people who just, this is, this is what they look forward to on a daily basis is nine o'clock and me, myself included. It's like, this is what I wanna do every single morning is like, just get up and practice with people that I love being around for no other reason than just that, you know, for the time being. That's, so. that is absolutely gorgeous. I hope that we can hold on to that. I really I hope that we can hold on to that. That would be the ultimate dream is <laughs> to hold on to that. And take it, you know, just somehow. Ultimately, people want a sense of joy every mm. single day. And I think that a lot of times we are just struggling so desperately, especially, you know, through all of, all of these changes and this COVID situation, that any sense of joy is magnified almost like tenfold. It's like, oh, dear God, yes. I can breathe. <laughs> I can breathe deep. <laughs> I can take a big inhale. I can take a big exhale. I'm alive. So, yes, wonder. Simple things, yeah. The simple things. So, um, Monty, let's let's wrap this up, um, and uh, then you know you and I can both get to our glasses of wine that I'm sure are just in the other room, and. <laughs> You know it, baby. <laughs> you um, read my mind. Yes. So, well, you know, it's getting up there in the evening. <laughs> yes, it is. It is for it's exactly four twenty right See, now. There you go. There yeah. you go. You know, my my grandfather, may he rest in peace, always had a clock uh, in his kitchen, and the clock did not work. It was stopped. And he had the the hands on on four o'clock. That was when happy hour began, and so it just stayed at four o'clock, and, and that's how it was at my grandfather's house. I love him. <laughs> he also kept the liquor underneath the sink next to the cleaning supplies. So, you know, uh -huh. who knows? But uh, uh -huh. that's interesting. A little Good to know. Little, uh, peek into my childhood. Um, <laughs> I've uh, cleaned my mirrors with vodka before and I had nothing else and it works. <laughs> so I've been ending these, uh, these little podcasts with four questions. And um, the first one is very self-serving. Um, so the first one is, do you have anything that you would like to ask me? Yes, I do, Michael. How do you see your life playing out in New York City post-COVID? Oh, well, this is a question I have been doing lots of thinking about. And I can't come to any grand uh, epiphanies because I feel like I don't actually have enough information. Or have there been any realizations like, like, you know, to, to explore other places, to leave the city, to... Uh... No, not really, honestly. Okay. Um, my great... I, I've always said, you know, I'm not married to New York City. But in order for me to leave New York City, there would have to be something really nice that came, came along, you know. And um, so far, that has not happened. And so I'm... I'm stuck here, you know, if you will, um, <laughs> by default. I will, because I feel exactly the same. <laughs> but one, one epiphany I have had is that I'm not afraid of it. Hmm. I, you know, these past months have gone by and I've done just fine. And I think I will continue to do just fine. Um, and I think it's, because of how 
because I have become a community builder and not a yoga teacher. And when you have a community, the community takes care of itself um, in a very beautiful way. And I've been well supported, honestly, you know, and I, I don't need a whole lot. I really don't. Um, and uh, to be happy or at least, you know, like even keeled, <laughs> not in a downward spiral. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm just not scared. Okay. I mean, you have a beautiful community. You have people that are, you know, practice with you for, for decades. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Which is just, that is so incredible. I mean, yeah. And they're lovely. And, and the community is growing, you know, the, the other, another silver lining out of this whole thing is now I, I teach people in Switzerland and Canada and Texas and you know, <laughs> wow, Brazil. That's amazing. That's amazing <laughs> to me. And you know. maybe that's the future of, of part of the yoga journey. I wouldn't mind if it was part of the future. I think I would be a little concerned if it became the whole future. Because I think that this stuff that you're doing, you know, where you do have interaction face-to-face, is that is not through a screen that is not through another medium is of vital importance to the sharing of this particular type of information this particular educative process and i know i keep coming back to yoga as education and not as a uh, physical fitness or even as a calming exercise or something like that i do think it is an education and it has to be passed on in a certain way. And that is in, um, unfortunately for right now, close proximity in some way. Well, there's just, it's so amazing. What I've discovered lately is just the exchange, the heart to heart exchange without saying a word, mm -hmm. just the physical presence of another person there is so powerful. You know, whether they're, I've known that from practicing next to people, but um, particularly through this time, it just seems to be amplified. It's like, oh dear God, yes, we are doing this together. And I love that. I love that. Good. Second question. Um, what do you think, and you can take this as right now or over the last 10 years or over the amount of time you've been practicing yoga personally, what do you think is the best thing that the yoga practitioners in the in our society do right now what do you think is the best thing about our yoga right now i have to say community i think is really you know it was interesting and i'm sure you felt the same when lighthouse closed or when we couldn't go because Lighthouse was such a big part of my life mm -hmm. for years. And I was there four to five times a week, five to six every day. And I, you know, I practiced there because they gave me a really good deal um, because I was taking pictures. So I could practice there for free for the most part. Um, but it was just um, the sense of community, of practicing with the same people all, almost every day. Oh, you know, the people would, would ebb and flow, but you would see it was the studio, the people in the studio that made, made it a force, that made it um, worth going. Mm -hmm. I could never get that feeling, that sense from practicing on my own. Mm -hmm. My meditation practice, I prefer to do alone, you know, of course. Um, um, but I think asana and community is just so powerful. Good. What do you think is most lacking? Money. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think what's most lacking is the fact that it has to be about business. Yeah. You know, that there, I think that a lot of heart is lacking because the business aspect 
takes over the heart aspect. Mm -hmm. So I think that's missing. I think there are several people who um, don't show that, you know, don't exhibit that, but feel it. So that would be it. And then lastly, where do you think, uh, where do you think yoga is going to be? What is it going to look like in 10 or 20 years, maybe even 30 years? I, I think that yoga, as we know it, there are aspects of yoga that will never change because it's, you know, what a 2000 year old practice or more that um, doesn't have to change. The benefits are, are, we know what they are. Um, but I think that there, people are going to start weaving in different aspects of movement into their practice. Um, it could be calisthenic movements or things just to make um, a different awareness in your body. I've been exploring like somatic experiencing, which mm -hmm. has, you know, been so powerful for me. So I think maybe incorporating some of that, you know, some more, um, more of a, like I see a lot of yogis on Instagram who are adding different elements of a movement practice into their yoga practice. Um, I find that interesting too. So, you know, maybe, maybe that, maybe that. I think that there will always be, and there always should be purists. That's me. That's you. <laughs> that's you. Because they they hold it down. You know, they this it's like it's grounding that down to earth. This is what it was thousands of years ago. This is the mainstay. This is what it should be. If you want to experience something off from that, go ahead. But always come you can always come back here. So I think that's that's gonna be interesting. Very good. Excellent. Well, pleasure to talk with you, Monty. Thank you so much, Michael. And I just want to say, I was so nervous when you came to my class. For the first time, I was like, oh my God, Michael Greenview is here. I'm your friend. So it was like, that took a little of the pressure off. But I was like, oh dear God. I'm so grateful you were there because it just took me through that, that door. Too. Well, it made me very happy. So oh, good. you've done well. You've done well. <laughs> oh, thank you, Michael. Well, coming from you, that just means so much to me. Thank you so much for talking to me. And uh, I'll see you soon in a, in a week or two. In a week? You're going to be gone a week? Uh, I'll be gone a week, yes. Okay. All right. My dear, well, safe trip, safe travels, and uh, I'll see you when you get back. Very good.